Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, I'm pleased to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Joe Stuckey, to the podcast. Dr. Stuckey is a professor emeritus from the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences here at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine, and he spent his career researching various aspects of cattle behavior and welfare. He's also a purebred cattle producer, and this week we're going to chat about a common behavioral issue that many producers have to deal with at calving season, mismothering. Let's get started. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. Uh, I've been waiting to get you for a while, so I finally got you here. And before we start into our topic for today, I'll just ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm originally from Illinois, the state of Illinois, and grew up there on a small farm. And that was sort of my introduction to livestock, I guess, and my love affair with cattle. And I had the good fortune to go to the University of Illinois for my graduate work. And then I, I managed the sheep research station for the University of Illinois for a number of years. And that's, that was really my turn on to science and, and behavior. We did a lot of research projects there, genetics, nutrition, physiology, but the behavior projects were just not only just fascinating, but I found them very applied where we could take what we learned and applied it at the station. And then I went back, got my PhD uh, and had a job offer here and got to come join this department in the large animal clinical science at the vet college and was able to pursue sort of my childhood interest of beef cattle again, one of my true loves and, and, join that up with, with my fascination and interest in behavior. And you have cows yourself. Tell us about your cows. Oh, I'd like to take you out there and show them to you, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a small herd of, of, uh, speckle park purebred cattle and, uh, we're building numbers with, we put some embryos in last couple of years. So we're building our numbers back up again after we had a bit of a, downturn because of my health but anyway they're fun it's just such a great sideshow i love cattle uh, today we want to talk about mismothering cows and your specialty is animal behavior and you've had a lot of experience with this in a number of species and sheep as well it's something most producers have to deal with from time to time and can be pretty frustrating to deal with do we know how commonly cows or heifers reject their calves i don't know that if it's in the if it's in the literature, because that's where you can learn a lot by reading the scientific papers published on topics like this, I don't think I've ever seen that figure, but I do know that it can increase based on sort of the environment in which they're calving and the amount of assistance. It's kind of funny that you know, we do have to assist cattle, but both C-sections and dystocias where we pull in the calf because of a bit of extra commotion, we get a higher instance of mismothering there. And it's higher in heifers in general, uh, heifers, uh, because that's sort of a new process and they're getting all their system primed. You, you'll see heifers that just aren't, I guess, in tune with maternal behavior yet. Most producers are probably pretty familiar with what the normal mothering process looks like, but how does that occur and how does a cow learn to recognize that that particular calf is her calf? That's a really good question, and, and you sort of hit on the key. There is a recognition process that has to happen. So at 
parturition, females are receptive, but it's sort of a blank slate. They don't know who their offspring would be. And they're learning who their offspring are through that interaction. And in mammals, that's cleaning off and cleaning that young, licking, unless you're a sow, of course. But for cattle, those first interactions of licking, they're learning and putting down information about who their offspring would be. Interaction with hormones as well, that are pretty involved in that whole process. So you can imagine a, a female, if you wean a calf, she doesn't want to go look for another calf. She's not receptive to anything there. But the process of parturition itself sort of starts that interest in a new neonate and and through odor and olfactory and, and taste, actually, of the birth fluids, they learn to recognize who that young would be. And then they'll discriminate, of course, against other ones. So once they learn who that who their calf is, they're not going to let any other calf come up to their udder and, and, and steal that resource that's designed for their own calf. So smell or taste. And visual. Uh, and visual. Eventually they learn what they look like. Uh, but And auditory. And auditory. Eventually they learn what they sound like. That's right. But that takes a while. And so in the first 12 to 24 hours, it's more scent and what else? Well, there's some, even even the location of where they're dropping that has, we don't think about it too much. And sometimes we can make a mistake and interfere. We pull that calf off the birth site, take it in to warm it up maybe. And all of a sudden the cow is looking for that calf if she doesn't sort of see the, the takeaway process. And then you come out with a warm calf, drop it into a barn stall. And you can see some cows are confused. They don't they haven't finished the recognition process. They don't even recognize that that's their calf. And the environment, you know, the weather influences how we do a lot of things. But ideally, if you took that calf back to the birth site, she would probably more likely to continue. Now, a lot of cows will just be receptive and, and you can't hardly disrupt it because they're so maternal and they're looking for their young or any young, in fact. So some are real good candidates to take anything that sort of is near them. But in general, the process is that they learn about the calf on the birth site. They learn to recognize who it is, and then they become very discriminatory against other calves. So we've talked about some of the risk factors, but what's behind the cause of maternal rejection of her calf? Why doesn't that particular cow or heifer exhibit normal maternal behavior? Well, I mean, basically it comes down to the hormonal profile. and. Uh, so like I said, you know, if, if you wean a calf, she's not interested in a new one. So she has to, at parturition, when she gives birth, she has to be receptive to the to that process. And that receptivity comes about from having the right hormonal profile. And so, and oxytocin, you might so mention that magic uh, peptide, I guess. That hormone oxytocin is so involved in not only maternal behavior, but in recognition and memory of who that calf would be. And I think most farmers think of oxytocin as that injection that we'd give to have cause milk let down, or it might cause cervical contractions and help with parturition. But it's also doing something a bit more than that, especially when it's in the right regions of the brain, it's playing a role in bonding. And, and it does that in all mammals. I mean, it's responsible for maternal behavior, it's responsible for sexual behavior, for bonding and recognition. There's even work in humans of using oxytocin to help uh, people with 
defects in facial recognition, they can improve that. So it's, it's an amazing compound. And unfortunately, you can't just give a cow an injection of oxytocin and, and sort of get maternal behavior to happen. It would be great if we could, but it's it, it, part of that is because it has to be in the brain, the right region. And if you give an, an exogenous shot, if you give an injection of oxytocin, it's not going to get to the right regions of the brain. So these heifers or cows that reject their calf probably have some deficit in oxytocin or some disruption in that oxytocin hormone. Are there things that make that more likely to happen, or is that just a chance coincidence? Well, I don't know if I mentioned this, but you know, when we interfere, sometimes we have to. You do a C-section or you pull that calf. Often that involves handling that female, disrupting her, moving her in. Depending on how, how well she takes that handling, she, if she's incredibly excited by it, and certainly a lot of them are, then she's having a big release of cortisol. And, and that cortisol is interfering then with the, the response to the oxytocin that might be there naturally. So it, it's sort of like, you know, you can't do too many things at one time. And that's sort of what's happening to the animal. It, it can't respond to the oxytocin because the cortisol is, is overriding the system. So fear, interference really can play a role in, in that mismothering and rejection of a calf. You mentioned a C-section. Would having the calf come out through the side play a role in, in that hormonal imbalance? It can. I don't know how major it is. There's a study on sheep about that and trying to stimulate maternal behavior in in females that in fact were not pregnant. They're trying to get the hormonal profile. And one of the things they learned from that is that they also had to have cervical stimulation. It, without cervical stimulation, they couldn't artificially create maternal behavior in some of these in some of these use. So I suspect it's having a role in cattle as well and probably all mammals that passing through the cervix and that, of course, involves more oxytocin release and relaxing, the hormone relaxing. But certainly it can play a role, I should say, in the rejection process. But, but I mean, we're not going to not give a C-section if we have to. We just have to maybe do some other steps to help jumpstart that maternal behavior. What about the calf itself? Does it play any role in stimulating maternal behavior? Oh, it, it, yeah. And you wouldn't think it would, because, but a live, vigorous calf it triggers interest by the female, causes them to be attracted to it and, and start to investigate smell, lick that. So if you get a real big, heavy, exhausted calf that just lies there, you won't see maternal behavior tripped as easily. And so there's in the birthing process, especially if they lay down, you can see, and I've got pictures of that where the calf isn't completely expelled and the cow now is looking back behind her and if it wiggles its head, shakes its head, that's a big draw to get that, that female to stand up, spin around, and investigate sort of what's behind her, which is her calf. Now, I think you had mentioned once before when we talked about this that that was more important in heifers than cows. Cows sort of have been through this before and maybe don't rely on those cues from the calf quite so much as a heifer does. Yeah, I, I, th I think that's probably true. I mean, it, it's, you know, why is a... Uh, a second calf or third or fourth calf female better mother, you know, part of it, maybe they have a better hormonal profile, everything's working good, but there's memory and lots of learning, even, even behaviors that we think are instinctive, like going to the udder and nursing. If you watch a calf, how they find that teat and, and then 
look at them again a week later, you could tell that they're so much more proficient because they've learned a lot. So first calf heifers, yeah, they're, they're learning the whole process. They don't sometimes know what's going on. They're drawn to the calf, but yeah, so the taste of it is going to help them. And that's why I tell producers, and you and I talked about it, if you pull a calf one of the th- or a C-section, one of the things that you can do to benefit is pull those birth fluids on your hand or your glove and smear them across the muzzle or in- onto the tongue of the female, and that helps jumpstart the process too. You know, a lot of producers have stumbled on this trick where they pour feed over a newborn calf and the cow is drawn to the feed, say, and, and it licks it. And the licking of the feed causes them then to taste the birth fluids, which can help jumpstart that system and get them interested in the calf too. I just had a calf the other day, and this is maybe a little topic, they had twins. And that's very common not to take one of those twins. They might be interested, but they often will take one and reject the other. And uh, I was trying to get this sort of the calf that was rejected onto the cow. But anyway, I had to, I had to give it a couple of, of supplemental feedings. I gave it colostrum, tube fed it. And when I pulled the tube out, it dripped on the calf's muzzle and nose and across the face and down on, you know, across the back of this cow, just by accident. It was, there was still some in the tube and it dripped, dripped on that calf. And it was really fascinating. She didn't want this calf. She was and she went over as she could smell that colostrum on that calf and licked it off. And she starts licking this calf, which she hadn't done before, which I thought was really interesting how, you know, it kind of turned on the behavior for that towards that calf. Interesting. Well, uh, talking about twins, one of the uh, stories I always hear from producers is, well, this cow had triplets. I'm always leery that it's triplets. That's a pretty rare event and it does happen. And I've seen it happen lots of places. But sometimes it's a cow that's claimed somebody else's calf first before she calved, and then she had twins, which is a bit more common than triplets. Or even twins. Or even twins. She could steal, she could steal a calf. But yeah. you could tell uh, if another cow has calved and sort of wants in on it. And, and some of those cows, those older cows, they will absolutely steal a calf. And they'll be receptive for days before they even calve. When that happens, can we do anything to reduce the likelihood of that happening? Certainly those cows are good mothers, and so they're going to go try to claim another calf. Can we reduce, reduce the chance of that happening? Oh, my God. It's just so frustrating. Anybody who's been there that had one of those cows knows knows the problem. And I think, you know, you're talking separation. Either the, the new the cow that had the newborn calf separate her off from the herd or get that cow out of there because she'll do it again and again and again. It's, it can be very frustrating, especially, and she's going to take calves away from low ranking cows. I had a cow do that this year and it's certainly not common, but that's that example. If you think of a normal distribution of sort of being receptive and wanting a calf, it helps you see that you get it at both ends. You get cows that are receptive a day or two days or three or four, a week before. And on that natural bell-shaped curve, you can get cows that aren't receptive when they have their own calf. They're on the other extreme end. And both of those are, are sort of a hormonal profile thing. So the cow that wants a calf a week before, she's probably, you know, her, her hormones are just loosely dribbling into her system before she even gives birth. Do we know if there's any genetic basis to mismothering behavior? Oh. Uh, I think it's not in the literature. I don't think you could find a scientific paper on it, but you just have to talk to enough producers. 
or talk to me, who's I had to count two cows over my career that mismothered as heifers. And because I have that curious scientific mind, I wanted to see if they'd do it again. And no surprises, they did. They didn't take the calf the next year. And, and I've talked to producers that sort of were in the same bent. You know, they eventually got a, a female that rejected a calf. They got her to raise it. Turned out she was pregnant. They didn't call her. They kept her again. She did the same thing the next year. That is not good. So I think that's a genetic component and you shouldn't be saving females or bulls out of a cow that's rejected a calf. And, and when you get the chance, call them because it's so frustrating. It's the most frustrating thing you deal with. Exactly. And would her daughters be more likely to reject their calves, do you think? The, the offspring when they grow up? I don't know. I, I, because I think it is a genetic thing. Those are individuals I just wouldn't keep. And I certainly wouldn't pass them on to someone else. So the mother and the offspring, I think, should be called. That would be my recommendation because there's a big component of genetics to behavior. It, it's very, besides the learning that I talked about, genetics plays a big role. So my suspicion and educated guess is that it's, there's a genetic component to, to that kind of behavior. So sometimes we have to deal with this. We've got to cross foster a calf onto another cow. Maybe we've had a cow die or she's got not enough milk or something going on, or we got twins or triplets or something. I know there's lots of various tricks and remedies and folklore about how to do that and how to get a cow to accept an orphan calf. Is there any evidence that any of them actually work? <laughs> there's a lot of tricks out there that do work, and I'll give some advice, things that I think that are good advice based on what we know about imprinting and bonding and maternal behavior. So one of the things, you know, often we do have a calf that needs a surrogate, it needs another mother. And, you know, it's a twin or something, or the cow doesn't have milk or whatever. You got an extra calf. And now you have a cow that calves and she's giving birth to a dead calf. And you're, you, you're there facilitating that. You pull a dead calf. Do not, and I can't emphasize that, do not let that cow lick that calf. Because what you've done by letting her lick that calf, all of a sudden she starts laying down information that says, this is what my calf smells like and looks like. This dead calf is my calf and I'm recognizing it. So if you can get it out of the picture, don't even let her know what that calf is. Now you've got a, a, a female that's sort of ripe for, for becoming a surrogate mother and you can take her to the barn. And, and now you can take this extra calf Put it in there and, and I would smear birth fluids on it if she's just calf. Smear the birth fluids from that dead calf on there. And I would tie the leg for a bit until she cleans it and licks it and learns something about the calf. Then I would let it, I would cut the string and let it go to the udder. So there's sort of an order, a proper order of, of recognition and, and bonding. And a calf doesn't jump up and run to the udder before the cow knows something about it. There's a they learn what the, their calf is, and then they give it access to the udder. So when you're trying to cross foster uh, and you got a cow like that that just calved, that would be a good trick. But, you know, there's other tricks that do work. If a cow had the calf for a couple days and it died, yeah, skinning that calf and hanging that uh, hide over a, an orphan calf, yeah, that's, that's, that's the perfect technique. That'll work. But some of the techniques, I'll just say this, there are some techniques you ask, do they all work? Is there evidence? And this is from sheep work. So I've heard of people say, oh, you spray hairspray on the calf and you spray it in their nose. Or you put vanilla on the calf and you put vanilla in their nose. 
Well, if you think through that process, there's no reason that should work. And then you say, well, wait a minute, it does work. I've done it and it worked or my neighbor did it and it worked. And part of that reason that they, that you sort of get the positive cases where it seems like it worked is because there's, and this is from sheep work, about 40 to 50% of those females will take an orphan without doing anything. They are maternal. And if they lost their own, they're sort of looking and you pen them in a tight quarters. Even with doing nothing, you can get about a 50% exception rate of that orphan because they're just being very maternal and they're, and they're starting needing. And if the calf has persisted, it'll go up there and nurse. And if it gets a milk let down, you know, you got it. Now you got it. And putting a cow in a head gate, I mean, everybody does this and, and letting that calf nurse on its own, that that's so good for a number of reasons. I mean, it's obviously good for the calf for the nutrition. It's good because it causes a natural milk letdown. So now you're getting oxytocin released in the brain where it should be. That's causing this maternal behavior and bonding process to be turned on. Sometimes a cow, just a two or three trips to the chute is enough to sort of get her interested in that calf that's been nursing on her. I've often wondered if we restrained the cow and started to milk her ourselves or started to stimulate the udder to try to stimulate oxytocin before we introduced the calf, whether that would help or not too, but I I have no evidence of that. Yeah, that's a good idea. But anything that can get a milk letdown is is beneficial, like both to the cow bonding process and to the calf, of course. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, to summarize, we probably can't completely prevent mismothering. We're going to have to deal with it from time to time. But what can we do to minimize the chances that it happens a lot in our herds? Well, I think leaving cattle undisturbed until thing. I mean, that's part of it. I think we we jump in there so fast, and it and it has consequences, uh, especially handling and moving a cow. Do you really need to move a cow to a to a separate pen when she's calving? Why not let her just drop that calf in amongst the herd? She turns around. She does. That might be better in some respects than moving a cow that's got feet out uh, and moving her into the barn and print. But you know, weather plays a role too. This, t- you know, in the winter time, but no surprises that those cows out on a pasture calving have sort of the ideal scenario of farming a proper bond. I would say minimize our our interference as much as you can. When you have to, you have to. Yeah, exactly. And it's an important component of getting adequate colostrum into these calves is the maternal behavior. So Doing some culling based on that is probably an important. Well, there's a, you know, the industry has a place a big, uh, puts a big emphasis on birth weights, mainly because they want a viable, a, a healthy calf, but, but a lighter birth weight calf, and I'm not talking, it has to be 50 pounds. I'm just saying something less than 90 pounds that helps develop a vigorous calf as well. It's easier parturition, so they're not wore out, fatigued. They jump up early, and that vigor stimulates the thing. So, so I think that's one thing. You know, birth weights play a role in, in several ways and, and probably help with maternal behavior, too. Well, that's great advice, Joe. Thanks for doing this with me today. really appreciate you taking time out of your day, and uh, hope to have you back again sometime in the future. It's always fun. Thanks, John. That's a wrap for this week's show. Thanks again to all of you for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Joe Stuckey. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. We'd appreciate feedback, so if you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. 
Take care until next time.